Get the little ones, sit back, relax, and listen to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. Part two of the Children's Book of Christmas by J. C. Dyer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part two. As Joseph was a walking, as Joseph was a walking, he heard an angel sing, "This shall be the birth night of Christ, our heavenly King. His birth bed shall be neither in housen nor in hall, nor in the place of paradise, but in the oxen's stall." He neither shall be rocked in silver nor in gold, but in the wooden manger that lieth in the mould. He neither shall be washen with white wine nor with red, but with the fair spring water that on you shall be shed. He neither shall be clothed in purple nor in pall, but in the fair white linen that use and babies all. As Joseph was a walking, thus did the angel sing, and Mary's son at midnight was born to be our king. The Hulinissen and blowing in the Yule. I do not know how the forty years I have been away have dealt with Hulinissen, the Christmas elf of my childhood. He was pretty old then, gray and bent, and there were signs that his time was nearly over. So it may be that they have laid him away. I shall find out when I go over there next time. When I was a boy, we never sat down to our Christmas Eve dinner until a bowl of rice and milk had been taken up to the attic, where he lived with the Martin and its young, and kept an eye upon the house. Saw that everything ran smoothly. I never met him myself, but I know the house cat must have done so. No doubt they were well acquainted, for when in the morning I went in for the bowl, there it was, quite dry and licked clean, and the cat purring in the corner. So being there all night, he must have seen and likely talked with him. The niss was of the family, as you see, very much of it, and certainly not to be classed with the cattle. Yet they were his special concern. He kept them quiet and saw to it when the stableman forgot that they were properly bedded and cleaned and fed. He was very well known to the hands about the farm, and they said that he looked just like a little old man, all in grey and with a pointed red nightcap and long grey beard. He was always civilly treated, as he surely deserved to be. But Christmas was his great holiday when he became part of it, indeed, and was made much of. So, for that matter, was everything that lived under the husbandman's roof or within reach of it. Blowing in the Yule from the grim old tower that had stood eight hundred years against the blasts of the North Sea was one of the customs of the old town that abide that I know. At sunup, while yet the people were at breakfast, the town band climbed the many steep ladders to the top of the tower, and up there, in fair weather or foul, and sometimes it blew great guns from the wintry sea, they played four old hymns, one to each corner of the compass, 
so that no one was forgotten. They always began with Luther's sturdy challenge, A mighty fortress is our God, while down below we listened devoutly. There was something both weird and beautiful about those faraway strains in the early morning light of the northern winter, something that was not of earth, and that suggested, to my child's imagination, the angel's song on far Judean hills. Even now, after all these years, the memory of it does that. Christmas Eve in Merry England On Christmas Eve the bells are rung, on Christmas Eve the mass was sung. That only night in all the year saw the stolid priest the chalice rear. The damsel donned her kirtle sheen, the hall was dressed with holly green. Forth to the wood did merry men go, to gather in the mistletoe. Then opened wide the baron's hall, to vassal tenant, serf, and all. Power laid his rod of rule aside, and ceremony doffed his pride. The heir, with roses in his shoes, that night might village partner choose. The lord, under rogating, share the vulgar game of post and pair. All hailed with uncontrolled delight, and general voice the happy night, that to the cottage as the crown brought tidings of salvation down. The fire, with well-dried logs supplied, went roaring up the chimney wide. The huge hall-table's oaken face, scrubbed till it shone, the day to grace, bore then upon its massive board no mark to part the squire and lord. Then was brought in the lusty brawn by old blue-coated serving man. Then the grim boar's head frowned on high, crested with bays and rosemary. Well can the green-garbed ranger tell how, when, and where the monster fell, what dogs before his death he tore, and all the baiting of the boar. The wassail round in good brown bowls, garnished with ribbons, blithely trolls. There the huge sirloin reeked, hard by, plum porridge stood, and Christmas pie, nor failed old Scotland to produce at such high tide her savoury goose. Then came the merry maskers in, and carols roared with blithesome din. If unmelodious was the song, it was a hearty note and strong. Who lists may in their mumming see traces of ancient mystery. White shirts supplied the masquerade, and smutted cheeks the visors made. But oh, what maskers richly dight can boast of bosoms half so light. England was merry England when old Christmas brought his sports again. When Christmas was not merry. Christmas was not always merry Christmas in old England, for at one time a strong effort was made to do away with the holiday entirely, after some of the older ways of celebrating the season had become too boisterous for decent God-fearing people. At this season, says old Dr. Stubbs, all the wild heads of the parish flocking together choose them a grand captain of mischief, whom they crown with great solemnity and the title of Lord of Misrule, who chooseth as many as he will to guard his noble person. 
then every one of these men he dressed in liveries of green of yellow or other light color and as though they were not gaudy enough they bedecked themselves with scarves ribbons laces and jewels this done they tie about either leg twenty or forty bells with rich handkerchiefs on their heads and sometimes laid across their shoulders and necks then march this heathenish company to the church their pipes piping their drums thundering their bells jingling their handkerchiefs fluttering about their heads like madmen their hobby-horses dragoons and other monsters skirmishing among the throng and in this sort they go to church though minister be at prayer or preaching dancing and singing with such a confused noise that no man can hear his own voice my lord of misrule's badges were given to those who contributed money to pay the expense of this wild fooling those who refused were sometimes ducked in the cow-pond he adds it is admitted that these abuses were quite as bad as he described and that they were among the chief reasons why in the seventeenth century cromwell tried to put down the great old holiday his puritan government ordered that the shops were to be opened that markets were to be held that all the work of the world should go on as if there had never been carols sung or chimes set ringing on christmas day in the morning instead of merry chimes people heard a crier's harsh-sounding bell and his monotonous voice telling every one no christmas no christmas in scotland about the same time bakers were ordered to stop baking yule cakes women were ordered to spin in open sight on yule day farm laborers were told to yoke their ploughs in both countries the masks or christmas plays which had been so popular in the houses of rich nobles were absolutely forbidden and if one were given those who merely looked on might be fined and the actors whipped but the people would not have their holiday taken away shops might open but few would come to buy in canterbury on one christmas day the townspeople asked the tradesmen to close their shops the tradesmen feared the law's penalties so refused in the riot that followed the mob broke the shop windows scattered the goods and roughly handled the shopkeepers in london even christmas decorations were forbidden but when the lord mayor sent a man to take down some holiday greens from one of the houses the saucy london prentice boys swarmed out with sticks and stones and sent him flying then came on horseback fat and lordly even the great lord mayor himself who thought his dignity would overawe the unruly boys but they only laughed and shouted until his horse took fright and ran away and perhaps he was glad to be let off so lightly even where the people dared not openly fight the new laws they did not obey them more than they could help spinning wheels were idle because there was no flax and ploughs were gone to be mended on christmas day in many an english village until after the death of cromwell when the holiday came to its own again in merry england the same dislike for the festival of christmas with its drinking dancing and stage plays came over to the new world with the puritans only a year after the landing at plymouth 
Governor Bradford called his men out to work, on the day called Christmas Day, as on other days. But certain young men, who had just come over in the little ship Fortune, held back and said it went against their consciences to work on that day. So the governor told them that he would spare them till they were better informed. But when he and the rest came home at noon from their work, he found them in the street at play openly, some pitching the bar and some at ball and such like sports. So he went to them and took away their implements and told them it was against his conscience that they should play and others work. If they made the keeping of it matter of devotion, he said, let them keep their houses, but there should be no gaming or reveling in the street. Later, in 1659, a law was made that anybody found to be keeping, by feasting or not working, or in any other way, any such day as Christmas Day, shall pay for every offense five shillings. Going Home for Christmas In the course of a December tour in Yorkshire, I rode for a long distance in one of the public coaches on the day preceding Christmas. The coach was crowded, both inside and out, with passengers who by their talk seemed principally bound to the mansions of relations or friends to eat the Christmas dinner. It was loaded also with hampers of game and baskets and boxes of delicacies, and hares hung dangling their long ears about the coachman's box, presents from distant friends for the impending feast. I had three fine rosy-cheeked schoolboys for my fellow-passengers inside, full of the buxom health and manly spirit which I have observed in the children of this country. They were returning home for the holidays in high glee, and promising themselves a world of enjoyment. It was delightful to hear the gigantic plans of pleasure of the little rogues, and the impractical feats they were to perform during their six weeks' emancipation from the abhorred thraldom of book, birch, and pedagogue. They were full of anticipations of the meeting with the family and household, down to the very cat and dog, and of the joy they were to give their little sisters by the presents with which their pockets were crammed. But the meeting, to which they seemed to look forward with the greatest impatience, was with Bantam, which I found to be a pony, and according to their talk, possessed of more virtues than any steed since the days of Bucephalus. How he could trot, how he could run, and then such leaps as he would take, there was not a hedge in the whole country that he could not clear. They were under the particular guardianship of the coachman, to whom, whenever an opportunity presented, they addressed a host of questions, and pronounced him one of the best fellows in the whole world. Indeed, I could not but notice the more than ordinary air of bustle and importance of the coachman, who wore his hat a little on one side, and had a large bunch of Christmas greens stuck in the buttonhole of his coat. He is always a personage full of mighty care and business, but he is particularly so during this season, having so many commissions to execute in consequence of the great interchange of presents. Perhaps the impending holiday might have given a more than usual animation to the country, for it seemed to me as if everybody was in good looks and good spirits. 
game, poultry, and other luxuries of the table were in brisk circulation in the villages. The grocers, butchers, and fruiterers' shops were thronged with customers. The housewives were stirring briskly about, putting their dwellings in order, and the glossy branches of holly, with their bright red berries, began to appear at the windows. The scene brought to mind an old writer's account of Christmas preparations. Now capons and hens, besides turkeys, geese, and ducks, with beef and mutton, must all die, for in twelve days a multitude of people will not be fed with a little. Now plums and spice, sugar and honey, square it among pies and broth. Now or never must music be in tune, for the youth must dance and sing to get them a heat, while the aged sit by the fire. The country maid leaves half her market, and must be sent again if she forgets a pack of cards on Christmas Eve. Great is the contention of holly and ivy, whether master or dame wears the breeches. Dice and cards benefit the butler, and if the cook do not lack wit, he will sweetly lick his fingers. I was roused from this fit of luxurious meditation by a shout from my little traveling companions. They had been looking out of the coach windows for the last few miles, recognizing every tree and cottage as they approached home, and now there was a general burst of joy. "'There's John, and there's old Carlo, and there's Bantam!' cried the happy little rogues, clapping their hands. At the end of a lane there was an old sober-looking servant in livery waiting for them. He was accompanied by a superannuated pointer, and by the redoubtable Bantam, a little old rat of a pony, with a shaggy mane and long rusty tail, who stood dozing quietly by the roadside, little dreaming of the bustling times that awaited him. I was pleased to see the fondness with which the little fellows leaped about the steady old footman, and hugged the pointer, who wriggled his whole body for joy. But Bantam was the great object of interest. All wanted to mount at once, and it was with some difficulty that John arranged that they should ride by turns, and the eldest should ride first. Off they set at last, one on the pony, with the dog bounding and barking before him, and the others holding John's hands, both talking at once and overpowering him by questions about home and with school anecdotes. I looked after them with a feeling in which I do not know whether pleasure or melancholy predominated, for I was reminded of those days when, like them, I had neither known care nor sorrow, and a holiday was the summit of earthly felicity. We stopped a few moments afterwards to water the horses, and on resuming our route a turn of the road brought us in sight of a neat country seat, I could just distinguish the forms of a lady and two young girls in the portico, and I saw my little comrades, with Bantam, Carlo, and old John, trooping along the carriage road. I leaned out of the coach window in hopes of witnessing the happy meeting, but a grove of trees shut it from my sight. God rest you merry, gentlemen. God rest you merry, gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. For Jesus Christ our Saviour was born upon this day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy, for Jesus Christ our Saviour was born on Christmas Day. 
in bethlehem in jewry this blessed babe was born and laid within a manger upon this blessed morn the which his mother mary nothing did take in scorn from god our heavenly father a blessed angel came and unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same how that in bethlehem was born the son of god by name the shepherds at those tidings rejoiced much in mind and left their flocks a-feeding in tempest storm and wind and went to bethlehem straightway this blessed babe to find but when to bethlehem they came where as this infant lay they found him in a manger where oxen feed on hay his mother mary kneeling unto the lord did pray now to the lord sing praises all you within this place and with true love and brotherhood each other now embrace this holy tide of christmas all others doth deface o tidings of comfort and joy for jesus christ our saviour was born on christmas day the date of russia's christmas tide real winter in russia is supposed to start on the feast of st nicholas of which the date written in russian style is december six nineteen the first figure gives the date of the month as it is known in russia and greece the second the date according to the calendar in use in all other civilized countries the calendar which was brought into use by julius caesar and was carried all over the then known world by the romans aimed to measure the year by the time it takes the earth to move once round the sun his egyptian astronomer figured that this required three hundred and sixty-five and one-quarter days so the practice was begun of having three years of three hundred and sixty-five days followed by a leap year to which an extra day is given as a matter of fact the length of the average year is not exactly three hundred and sixty-five and one-quarter days to be sure that is only eleven and one-quarter seconds or so out of the way and this may seem a very small matter out of a whole year but what happens is that every 128 years or so, the calendar of Julius Caesar, or the Julian calendar, as it is called, gets a day behind. By the year 1582, when Gregory Thirteenth was Pope, the calendar was ten days slow. So Pope Gregory issued an order that the year was to take a new start, and that thereafter three leap years out of every four centuries should be omitted which keeps the calendar very nearly correct but though pope gregory might decree it did not follow that every one would obey at once the ignorant thought that by the change of date they were losing ten days of time and of course of wages after some confusion all the roman catholic countries obeyed england being a protestant country ignored pope gregory's commands but it could not so easily dismiss the knowledge of its own astronomers that the gregorian calendar as it was called is nearer the truth than the julian in seventeen fifty two therefore the date of the day of the year was changed by an act of parliament the day after september three was to be called september fourteen which it would have been if the calendar had not been slow 
and naturally the change was also made in america to which the new style had been brought already by french and spanish settlers from catholic countries there were always hot jealousies between the eastern church ruled from constantinople and the western ruled from rome the eastern or greek churches refused to change their calendar on the order of a latin pope and to this day retain the old style the julian dates this is why their christmas follows our twelfth day for by this time their calendar is thirteen days behind the gregorian but to avoid confusion the double date is very generally in use during the time between the day of st nicholas and christmas it seems as if half russia streams out upon the ice of the river neva in st petersburg all through the summer the boats come and go bringing food fuel building materials everything the city needs from the interior but the river is frozen for six months of the year and in those months it is used as if it were public land st petersburg is a very gay capital in winter when the wealthier russian nobles have left their country estates and come down to exchange visits to give balls or go dashing about in gay sleighs to join the sleighing or skating contests for which a part of the frozen river is reserved all around the cleared spaces on the ice merchants have set up temporary booths here you may buy tea and nut cakes there holy pictures or icons pictures of all the possible saints some costing a few pennies others with gold and silver backgrounds costing many roubles a rouble being worth about fifty cents on another part of the river a great provision market is held a little before christmas and the booths stretch for miles everything is frozen countless oxen piles of sheep and goats pyramids of pigs form a frozen range of hillocks to which the butcher comes to make his choice with hatchet or saw he divides the animal ox or pig or it may be a bear into sections which his customers store in the ice cellars which have all been freshly filled thousands of workmen are engaged during the winter in cutting and drawing the ice from yet another part of the neva and on a still frosty morning the clink of their axes against iron ice-breakers can be heard at a long distance from the river a great ceremony of the greek church takes place each year at the end of their christmas season the benediction of the waters in every town and village in russia and down along the coasts of greece in st petersburg the ceremony is performed by the czar outside the winter palace a wooden temple is put up out on the ice decorated with gilt and paintings within and surrounded by a hedge of fir boughs without a hole is made in the ice and to this a long procession makes its way troops with bright banners gorgeously robed bishops and priests carrying lighted tapers and big icons are followed by more soldiers the czar and czarina in magnificently jeweled robes and after them their court brilliant in uniforms and beautiful fur-trimmed dresses they have all attended one service in the imperial chapel they now have another on the ice the water is blessed evil spirits flee away the soldiers fire a salute 
and every one is sprinkled with the now holy water. The procession returns to the city, carrying with it great vessels of the holy water to be used later in all the churches. Then the people who have been looking on try to get to the hole. Some draw up pailful of the cold liquid, others plunge bodily into the icy water, believing that so they will be cleansed from sin or sickness. Many have even plunged delicate babies into it, content if the child does not survive the shock in the belief that its soul is forever saved. And over every door in the great city on that day rests the sign of the cross, lest the evil spirit expelled from the water should enter any home. End of Part 2「If you want a huge selection of audio drama, some of the newest ones out there as they come out, then do find Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network, which is the new home of the Sonic Society, the world's longest-running, largest showcase of modern audio drama. You can find us on the Sunday Showcase feed, or if you want to hear all of the day's worth of audio, then you can find it on the main Mutual Audio Network feed, wherever you get your podcasts. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together. <laughs>